Priced Out the Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan, and I'm in here with Cornelia Swart. How you doing today? Good, good. We're we're making each other laugh. Yes. Uh, but just It's the best way to start a show. It makes it seem like these guys enjoy themselves. Yeah. I, yeah. We enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about something serious. So Avengers Endgame, right? Yes, yeah. That that is. Have you seen it? Yes, of course. That is yeah, very yeah. serious. It's very serious. It was very serious. Are we, are we, do we care about spoilers? Do we really? No, not at out, this point. Yeah. The, the, the ban has been lifted officially. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. We, we can talk about it at the end of the show. Yeah. yeah just and I, I think there's a, a segment of people who only listen for that. Yeah, like, whatever like, gets them in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever about the gentrification. Let's yeah. let's get down to business. We really need to hear what these guys' opinions are on <laughs> yeah. Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we have for him today? Well, um, we had talked about doing a series sort of about us, um, or at least from our own personal perspective, our own personal history with these issues. And it would be a way that the listener can get to know us and where we're coming from, as well as we'll just talk about how do you live in a gentrifying neighborhood, either as a resident who feels like their their community is changing in a way they don't, they're not comfortable or you are someone who's moving into a new community and you're trying to figure out how to live there um, responsibly. Yeah. yeah. And, There's a lot of elements that come in to it, you know, uh, uh, from where do you shop, you know, and what mm-hmm. does it mean for those individuals who, you know, who have businesses and, and what's expected in the marketplace as well as the, the interactions you're going to have with the homeless population, mm-hmm. uh, the neighborly, just the hello neighbor, the mm-hmm. the downright just Mr. Rogersness of being in a new neighborhood. Like, you know, you've often sat on your, your front porch while changing your shoes and your mm-hmm. cardigan and invited people in. <laughs> so, as I changed from my, my light jacket to my yeah. cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he did that, but I guess it was he, he was awesome. But it, but that's exactly yeah. it. like getting to know you. I think is the name of this this series that you were saying that uh, yeah. you tossed yeah. that out, and I, I you know that yeah. sounds good. You should sing the little the getting to know you song. Getting to know you, getting to know. Okay, maybe the I musical stylings. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is this is something I feel like we can throw out stats. We can talk about other cities, but I think that there is an element. Um, that I am very interested, especially because we, we come from two different perspectives. We can, um, you're an individual who has identified through the Price Style movie as a gentrifier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been a, a person who's found myself in situations where I've experienced root trauma as well as found myself in a situation where I could kind of claim to be priced out. Mm-hmm. And currently as a renter, am facing yet another rent hike. Mm-hmm. Um which I was promised when I signed the lease that there wouldn't be one. Mm. And now I'm I'm entering into my second $50 mm. increase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that one's small, but still mm-hmm. renter, owner, mm-hmm. you know, two different perspectives as well as ebony and <laughs> ivory. That fa- in case you can't hear it in our voices. I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a little whiter than you, yeah. I would say. Just, <laughs> just a shade. Just a shade, <laughs> but that's something else that we can we can talk about. You know, if we get to it in this episode, um, or in a in a following episode, just talking about our own racial experiences. Yeah. Um, how you know I'm thinking, how, what color is Cornelius? You can't yeah. tell by by listening to me, but you know my own family's um, my mother's family is from Latin America, and I have a slightly different experience than 
I think a lot of other white Portlanders in the whitest city in America, but I'm certainly, I don't have any experience that's close to what you, what you go through. And so, yeah. And, and being a, an East Coaster on the West Coast, yeah, you know, like there's some an emotional, there's an emotional gentrification that kind of took place where you, mm-hmm. you've described to us, and we'll get into that, you know, where you've described the whole, what does it mean for you to to not be able to just freely cuss, right. you know, right. when it's warranted? Like you should, right. you know, as a New Jersey native, it's like right. there's a lot of things that need the F word, and you you can't do that here. Right. It's, <laughs> it's very it's a very uncomfortable fit here, <laughs> uh, many times. So you ready to go ahead and get into it then? Let's start off with homelessness. Mm -hmm. There are large groups of homelessness here. Um, What's been your feel as a homeowner kind of seeing the homelessness in your community? Right. So, you know, even before I I moved here in um, the mid-1990s, I was aware that the Pacific Northwest was sort of like this homeless Mecca, you know, even in the 90s and in the late 80s, it had a reputation for being a place for especially homeless youth. Uh, There was an incredibly good documentary about homeless youth in Seattle called Streetwise, which was done in the 1980s. It's very upsetting. And then, um, but so it, it has always been a place where the homeless traveled to, partially because uh, the weather is not as bad as, uh, as it is in other places. And um, partially because there are services, because it's kind of a welcoming place for homeless people. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just picked up steam. And as the housing crisis has gotten worse, obviously people, um, the homeless people are, are not those people who are who are just transients, right? Like I was, I came here as a transient. I came here as a hitchhiker and a freight train hopper on my way to Canada um, when I first came into Portland in ninety three, ninety four. And, you know, at that point, there is a circuit from New Orleans up to um, to Seattle or if you, you dare to cross into Vancouver, B.C., but they're looking for you at the border. And people head up to the northwest in the summer and they go down New Orleans in the winter. Yeah. You know, and so you just go the endless summer, hmm. um, you know, and the endless summer is like a surfer reference of like going down the Pacific coast um, and then back up so that it's always summer year round. So I have a question for you and it, and it's kind of as a as a gentrifier by mm-hmm. your own, you know, mm-hmm. as a person who has property, you actually own commercial property also. I, I own a commercial here, property, but, not here, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So as a property owner, mm-hmm. where are you at when it comes to when you see homeless populations mm-hmm. around either your property, your home in the area? Be honest, be real. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that make you feel? Like, are you panicked? Are you like, oh, crap, property values are going down? Do you feel, you know, how, what, what is it, how does it make you feel to see it in your area? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I I always look at it um, because I've, I, I only own a house, you know, and um, I, I actually own a one-bedroom apartment that I rent and, and I get, uh, hundred and sixty dollars a month that I get to put in my pocket every big money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I've never been someone who had like property, so many properties or something that it was just like yeah. numbers on a spreadsheet, or it was just like, hey, I own this entire block, get on my fucking block, you know, right, kind right. of. A, it's just like it's just me. So anybody who I see, um, they're a person first, right? And so 
there's always been like a resident homeless person yeah. that I either know by name or I know by sight. And I'm just like, oh, how are they doing? You know, are they are they are they a problem really, or are they just passing through? Is this person trouble, or are they not? You know, I mean, it. So first, is a personal relationship is really, yeah. And then, over the years, it, as with crime, like, um, there might be a drug addict or a drug dealer or a drunk on the block, at which point it's always just their Gus first. Yeah. Right. Gus has a drug problem. I hear Gus is dealing drugs again, right? That's a personal issue. So, but then there are other times when there are like 10 people who I don't know and who nobody else seems to know and they're they're living here or they're doing business on this block, right? And I don't know anybody who said they should do business on this block, right? And it's like there's no personal connection there and first to find out if there is one. Um... And then, so this is now someone who's sort of outside of the immediate neighborhood, you know, just as yeah. defined by the block. And so then you have to start to look at it like a, like a social problem or get to know folks and be like, what's going on here? Yeah. So, but I've never had a problem or, or lived in a situation where there was like, you know, 10 people camped in front of, you know, the, the commercial building that we, that we have or in front of the house. So. Yeah. But but there have been times when it, it was just like there was so much crime going on in the neighborhood that it wasn't about the people. It was about this is just a unregulated marketplace that's going on here. Yeah. You know, people are traveling to the street corner to do illegal business, and that uh, has to stop. And I think so for me, what I what I faced as a homeless outreach worker was I would I would take the calls in from the individuals who just moved into this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it would be a, a neighborhood like, for example, in Tulsa, there would be neighborhoods that were like historically, you know, like the Hispanic side of town mm-hmm. or the black side of town. And as they were moving in, it wasn't so much well, we're going to call the police on the black people or the Hispanic mm-hmm. people that are mm-hmm. remaining in the neighborhood as much as. We're going to call the homeless outreach guy about Mm -hmm. these people are squatting in this house. Mm -hmm. And I've been called out to home squatting, you know, situations where the person's like, no, I own this house. I just don't have furniture or, (laughs) you know, like they just, you know, my lights are off. I'm not squatting. Right. This person's new. I've been here if they would have asked. Right. But I've had some people who were legitimately concerned and they were called first time because they the most common theme I would hear is. My property values aren't going to go down because this person is living on under the bridge by my house. Mm. And so they would always try to coax, get me to coax them to move out from under the bridge because mm-hmm. it's like, no, this will bring my property values down. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I never understood that. Like, unless yeah. you're looking to sell, like, what difference does your property values mean? Like, I don't even yeah. fucking get that one. You know, <laughs> but that was <laughs> like, but that was the the common theme. It's like, get them out of our neighborhood. Yeah, sure. And I, yeah. I actually did work directly with this group called Working in Neighborhoods. And the wind group would actually when I worked for the city of Tulsa, they had us go into the neighborhood, mm-hmm. remove all graffiti and report signs of homeless encampments. Mm-hmm. And that got me into my homeless outreach work, actually, because mm-hmm. I began to learn and identify where they were. And what I found was people were instantly coupling homelessness with meth use or with mm-hmm. heroin use or with anything else. And so the fear factor when I got my phone calls uh, to come help clean up this camp mm-hmm. was they've got to be doing meth. Right. They've right. got to be making drugs. They've got to be doing heroin. 
you got to get the homeless out of here because it's driving down our property and eventually one of them are going to attack or rape our kids or something right. bad's going to happen. And 90% of the time it was just a guy who was like, no, or, you know, our family mm-hmm. in some cases, they mm-hmm. were like, nope, this is closest to my kid's school or this is mm-hmm. close as I can get to work. And the field was empty and I try to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. But there was always an issue with is your dog, you know, are the homeless people's dogs going to attack? Are they going to be are they going to clean up? So I think you're, th- you're, you're getting to it. And that it's like it's a fear driven thing. Yeah. And maybe that fear is because someone's a different color than you. Yeah. Or because they they look poor mm-hmm. um, or they have something that you can't relate to in, in how they're living. But I always try to eliminate that. You know, I think coming from New Jersey or f- from a bigger city, um, the fear factor generally was less for me. But um, that, yeah, I, yeah. S- I see what you're saying. And so for me, like to bring this up, like when we talk about that's one angle of dealing with homelessness. And so my suggestion or advice, if it's worth anything, is the thing that you said, like kind of get over yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you're scared, then get someone else in the neighborhood who may not be embrace and see what do these people need? What do they want? Why are they here? Mm-hmm. You know, and in some cases, it is just something you may be able to actually help with. Yeah. Sometimes you just asking may actually run them off and, and <laughs> you know, you win. But it, it's kind of one of those things where I think there's this realistic thing where a lot of people don't want to admit that that's what they're scared of. But that's what you're being sold to mm-hmm. uh, by mainstream, you know, like the tr- like what people believe homeless mm-hmm. people are. Right. right. You, you come and you because we've evolved past what we joked about earlier, like the hobo with the stick and oh, the, the stereotypes yeah. Yeah, we're talking about. They've got to have a shopping cart and yeah. a little can of beans. Yeah. And like <laughs> a yeah, the, bindle. Yeah. The hobo <laughs> thing is gone. Like no yeah, one right. thinks that anymore. Now it's just like instantly. Oh, they're doing drugs. Like right. it's instantly that one or something worse and so and i have like a weird attitude too that i would you know you think about like what if someone who's homeless could just be accepted as part of your community at least for a little while yeah that and i mean that's the way i always looked at it it's like oh yeah there's a homeless guy he lives here he's he's he's, you know i know him he's part of the block yeah you know and we look at we try to look after him and there's a drunk and there's a drug dealer and there's like a guy who's on drugs and you know we hope that they recover um but in, at some point, it's like the community can be a little bit bigger that everyone would have to have the same life as you. Um, and if there's not a, a real threat, yeah. not just like a fear threat, but like, is there actually something that bad that's gone down that warrants yeah. having to go after people? And I think that's what, what we had on our block is we did finally have a, a summer. And it, and it wasn't the fault of anybody who was living on the block. It was it was kind of just there's a movable feast of crime at at that time and it would yeah. move from block to block and summer to summer to summer and it was like this year our block Your was designated yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and so at that point we had to go I I went around it's like okay well we do have some abandoned properties here are there people living in them yeah we got to look at that and that's and a that part kind of stuff and that's a part of the gentrification cycle is mm-hmm. understanding there's going to be in blight or in you know like they're going to be empty homes mm-hmm. as the market goes they're going to be some empty spaces and what's going to happen with those empty spaces they might get occupied temporarily mm-hmm. and so how are you going to handle it i think the um steven had said this where and this is the another point to make when it comes to gentrification as it relates to homelessness if you get to know a person's story It's like the story Stephen Green told us a few weeks back on the Mm -hmm. podcast where he said there was a woman who lived in the neighborhood 
who then knocked on the door and said, can I camp in your backyard? Yeah. And she went from neighbor to then him having to let her couch surf. Megan, he had to, it, the yeah. issue got real for him, yeah. he said. And he had been kind of not so supportive about the idea of subsidized housing before. He'd been kind of like a more of a laissez-faire libertarian capitalist type. Yeah. And he it kind of shook, shook him. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of people that I hear. They're like, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And I think there are probably a lot of what you can do sitting right there in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, when, with just mm-hmm. being relational mm-hmm. just a little bit. Um, there's something a little bit deeper in this discussion I wanted to talk about also when it came to the idea of, of how we handle and how we deal with the homeless from a housing standpoint. You have a lot of experience uh, with homeless outreach work. Yeah. And so we would get I would get people housed all the time. This is in uh, Tulsa. Yeah, is, this was in Tulsa. And my work kind of extended throughout the state as well as into Arkansas, because I would sometimes have to get people placed in Little Rock and and other you know cities adjacent, because sometimes Tulsa just didn't mm-hmm. just didn't have openings for that particular demographic. You know, and what, what was your job specifically? Uh, <laughs> I wish I, I had a specific title, but it was I had seven titles oh, to wow. it. But. Uh, I always shorten it to just saying I was an outreach, a homeless outreach supervisor, but, Mm um, I was a, yeah, it's, it's so many titles to go into it. So, but for this particular feature, yes. Um, and so in that there was a responsibility at some point to coordinate with the, uh, cities, you know, like the service council, the community service council. And, uh, I helped coordinate and put together the, the point in time count, Mm -hmm. which is the one night count where everyone goes out. And they count all the homeless people in the city. Mm-hmm. And so they. And pick, this is the number that people use when they say, oh, we've ended homelessness. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. were talking a little bit about this <laughs> idea of ending homelessness as the new kind of like buzz. Functional ups, zero. Functional yeah. zero. So HUD, and this is this goes beyond, and I love making fun of our new HUD director. This is Housing and Urban Development, yeah. the federal government. Which is ran by Ben Carson. <laughs> who thinks pyramids are grain silos. So, I, I, and who stabbed a dude? And, yeah, and, and was, didn't Trump criticize him for not killing the guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like he it couldn't even kill him. There's yeah, it, but a lot of this HUD stuff has been going on like for years, and it has nothing to do with him. Like he's just a figurehead now. But um, and we would probably won't feel the impact of him for like ten or fifteen years. So I can't blame mm. him, although it is fun to uh, just I mean, because it's just another clown coming out of that car, the clown car. Yeah, administration. Well, let, let's pick a surgery, like a doctor who can, you know, like let, let's pick him who has not done anything in this area. Oh, he's black. Put him in charge of the I know, urban. I know, I know that. That, that <laughs> was like what struck me first. It's like, oh, word urban so, is in there. Yeah. So let, <laughs> let's give the black guy the job. But you know, all of that aside, like the functional zero movement, I, I've always been on the opposite opposite side of it because I believe in relationship first, but. Even when I eliminated that, I started to personally see the actual harm that it was doing because HUD's policies say that there will be uh, wraparound care and all these other things that will come along with you placing someone in government subsidized housing Mm -hmm. and all these other things. But the truth of the matter is we were placing people off of the streets who were on the streets for a reason. And we were just taking them from the streets to apartments. Meaning they had like maybe a mental illness issue or a yeah. drug addiction issue or some other emotional issues or larger structural problems with their place in the workplace. Yeah. Some of it was just plain human life skills. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know how to budget? 
No, never had right. to do it. Right. Live with mm-hmm. mom till I was 45. Mom died. I'm homeless. Right. And mm-hmm. okay, well, let me get you an apartment. Right. And six months later, when the government stopped paying the rent, mm. they're homeless again. Right. And so what what happened is we would do the one night count mm-hmm. and whatever number we came up with for that city, that would be the average amount of homeless people like that. OK, this city uh, has a thousand homeless people on the streets. Well, our goal for the next year is to house a thousand people. Right. Once we house a thousand Right. We're at functional zero, functional zero right. meaning we've solved homelessness for this whole community. Now, if you could back, I know where you're going with this, but if you could back up even before we get to the part about how the data actually comes about. Yeah. What 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 is functional zero and what is this ending homelessness stuff that may, maybe the listeners aren't familiar with? But it, it has been touted. It's been mentioned before in this podcast. Yeah. Right, the one about uh, historic preservation. Um, So for me, what I was taught when I would go to these training sessions, the idea behind functional zero was that in order to get more money from the government to say that we're fighting homelessness, we had to prove that we're actually housing people. So functional zero was created to, well, we'll never get to zero, mm -hmm. but it gave you a target. Is is the to change the attitude to yeah. we're going to try to actually solve this problem rather yeah. than we're just going to deal with what we've got to deal with and kind of do it piecemeal. And and it seems like um, there are, so there's a Fast Company article about uh, ending homelessness in cites three cities. This is an article on uh, of March 12th. It cites Bergen County, New Jersey, uh, which is where I, I grew up. It's a, it's a suburb of New York with um, a million a million people in it. It's very um, populous, but very suburban place. Um, it doesn't have a lot of cities. I was actually born in the one city that it has. <laughs> but it's mostly just, you know, single family homes with big lots that stretch on for miles and miles and miles. And there, there are almost no walkable streets. Um, the, the, the streets that do have stores on them, are they're, they're all like shopping malls, giant malls. No sidewalks. So there's not a lot of place, places for a homeless person to go. There's no public yeah. transportation um, or very little. And um, But what they were saying is that Bergen County was one of the first people to reach functional zero. Um, and there was also an element not only of providing housing for folks, but um, of integrating data and, and coordinating all the services yeah. from all the different agencies and they actually had a command center that they set up. So that was a that was the other factor that it actually and and this isn't me sounding this may sound paranoid or whatnot, but this is also the government putting its hands in control over also the homeless population and what happens. And so the idea of if we can get to functional zero, it makes it easier for us to continue to use there's this thing called HMIS. The homeless, mm-hmm. like I think, monitoring information system, mm-hmm. and so every homeless person is assigned a number. Mm. Anytime you go to get any homeless services, you're going to be put in HMIS, mm-hmm. and they won't centralized intake. That way, you go to this one place and they say, "Okay, you have this particular need. You go to that shelter." Right. Opposed to you being in your neighborhood and mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, I'm homeless in this neighborhood. Let me just go down here to." to John 316 and mm-hmm. they they you go there and you get a bed. 
Well, but is, does that have a function though of being more efficient? I mean, I know what you're saying. It's it's almost like the neighborhood schools function, which is a, a or controversy where they say, well, we can't afford to put a school in every neighborhood and have it free anymore because people don't want to pay for it. So we just gonna well, have to have super schools, and you have to travel. So I can only come from the relational aspect. Had mm-hmm. seen it. I see it in two markets. I live in a in a market right now in Vancouver, Washington, that has uh, a central command, and I've actually personally brought. A, uh, I've had a homeless person in my household um, that me and my wife have helped mm. and we helped her navigate through that system. And it was mm. very difficult mm. uh, where she had to go to this central command spot, which was three miles away from her shelter, mm. which was three miles away from where we were as her central help system. Mm-hmm. So we were the ones that could help her out the most. And we were across like the street from the command center. Mm-hmm. So she had to go to share. And then Cher told her, "Okay, well, we'll put you in this shelter four miles up the road. Mm -hmm. So just catch this bus, this bus or walk. And it's about an hour Mm -hmm. walk or whatever. And so it was completely inconvenient for her. And Mm -hmm. she had to find a job and all these other things. If anything goes wrong with that shelter situation, then she has to go back to central command. Mm -hmm. So it was easier from a a bureaucracy standpoint, like, okay, all the paperwork that you need is in this spot. Mm -hmm. But the human element of mm-hmm. like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm homeless. Only thing I own is on these two large mm-hmm. trash bags. Mm-hmm. I have to go, if something goes wrong, I have, I can't leave my things at the shelter. Mm-hmm. But if I need to go to Central Command, I'm going with two large trash bags right. from this place to that place in order to get any business done. My caseworkers mm-hmm. are at this particular place at mm-hmm. Central Command. And that means my two trash bags are going to Central Command four mm-hmm. miles away because they felt maybe this shelter for some reason is better than that one, then this one is closer to where I need so to be. It's, it's almost a harder system to navigate as a person, it, but it may be more a little bit more cost effective. It's, it's easier for the government to be able to issue out its grants and say, okay, we're going to give money here, here, mm-hmm. and here. Mm-hmm. And it also is easier to control where you're going to allow the homeless population to be. Mm-hmm. If you tell all of the homeless population they have to go to this area, it stay, they stay away from the evolving downtown gentrified area mm-hmm. and that's one way to control mm-hmm. where that mm-hmm. population is going to be it's a little bit like on a side note I, i've just been curious about this because uh, you know this has come up so many times about you know how difficult it is to get to services from where people are living yeah is there, are there cities or is there anyone that has just sort of like a jitney system that will take people around even if it's not very efficient you know, from from one social yeah. service to one social, you know, to like a yeah. camp or a shelter and do like a route where yeah. people can well, at least now, do see, that? Now, I know Tulsa has that. There is a share ride system in Tulsa mm-hmm. where you can go. It, it has a stop at the free health care clinic to mm-hmm. the mental health care clinic over to the shelter section. Mm-hmm. And you just have to get in that rotation mm-hmm. and, and just look at the schedule. So usually if a city's uh, metropolitan area is big enough, you can find that information through 211 mm. uh, or 411, whatever it is in that particular market. Um, but you can find out what that service is. I've not seen that here mm. uh, mo- um, in the Portland area. I don't know if it's a need for it because of the way Portland also handles its rules toward homelessness also. Mm. So that's the problem. And the other thing is, there are places that function as shelters that don't want government assistance or don't need government assistance. Mm-hmm. And actually, for religious purposes, 
believe that they should stay separate from mm. government assistance. So they can't be coordinated. Yeah, and they can't coordinate with mm. it, and it puts them outside of the box. I ran into that with the place that I worked at, mm -hmm. where there was always this angst of, like, the rest of the people receiving grants from the government and receiving money from the government wanted us to join in, but we were receiving private donations and more than enough and were functioning well privately and didn't need, and it was a part of, you know, like it wasn't a part of our culture. Mm -hmm. And it was always a pull to, hey, let's go, let's do centralized intake and to help us reach functional zero, where functional zero meant nothing to us. Right. We wanted to get each person in a house and keep them in a house permanently. So there's a couple of elements of, of, that make up approaching functional zero or trying to achieve it. One is to prioritize new housing units or to yeah. prioritize homeless veterans. Um, yeah. or, or people who are just recently homeless in the sort of waiting list for affordable housing. Uh, another is to try to integrate all the, or to um, coordinate all the different service providers, create central centralized data, coordinate that kind of stuff. So, But all of this stuff is, is built on the survey data of how many homeless people are even yeah, in our are even in it. Yeah. And so that's that's what you're talking about, the, yeah. the point in time count, yeah. which happens once a year. And the truth of the matter is you can never count every single person because right. those point in time counts don't count couch surfers. Mm -hmm. And so there's and it and it rarely we could count people that we knew were living in cars, but you still had to find where that car was going to be located today. And they do it in the winter, right? Yeah, it's like, the last. The worst it's the last give... Thursday of every January. Why would you? Isn't it harder <laughs> to find people? And well, aren't they less likely to even? You're be? more than likely to be in the shelter, so right. you're going to get larger shelter count numbers. And as far as outside, yeah, it's it makes it harder on the worker and harder on the person to have to come from out of the warmth of no, their tent or the warmth of their around their fire or whatever it is, it makes it more to me also during it during that time of the year, during daylight saving times, it makes it more dangerous mm -hmm. to enter into those camps during key times when they're gonna be occupied. Because you're walking into someone's home essentially mm -hmm. in the middle of the night or as they're getting comfortable after mm -hmm. work. Because most people are working in mm -hmm. homeless situations. Mm -hmm. And so we were creating uh, a lot of anxiety for a lot of individuals who wanted to be off the grid. How do you so, think they should do it? Because oh, and, and you yeah. also said there was just some people you just wouldn't you wouldn't the, count. I can say that now because I won't get in trouble for it. But yeah. yeah, like I'm not looking to go back into that work directly. But um, yeah, there were people that I and I proudly said I wasn't gonna allow to be counted hmm. because it meant I was gonna have to bring a bunch of people, and that relationship was gonna be ruined. So just merely to try to count them to survey them, yeah, now, with so much of an intrusion that you wouldn't be able to deal with that person as an outreach worker ever again, ever again. Yeah. Because it's like, bro, you know, I'm out here because you do your job and because you do your job and you come out into the middle of nowhere and you care enough, I'll let you keep coming. Mm -hmm. But it's, you're going to someone's house. And so when they, and there were people who just didn't want to be housed, housing wasn't right. for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. I think we get a lot more of that out here in the yeah. West too yeah because it's just like it's always been the place for the mountain man and the you know the the sort of restless and the and the yeah. people who just want to get away from society they come yeah. out here to the west i had a lot of people who would tell me they lived in this area before they came all the way back to the midwest oh, really? to decide well, i don't want to be homeless anymore but when i want to i know that i can set up in front of someone's house and the you know and in the city of portland if as long as I'm on the private, pro uh, the public property portion, as long as I get up, 
in a certain amount of time, they can't say anything. And <laughs> it's frustrating as a homeowner, I could imagine. And, and so and so this is this sort of going back to um, to Portland. So, I mean, there's a, you know, a problem with the data, obviously, uh, is what you're saying. Yeah. What but, do you think they should be doing? And then, and then maybe we can talk about just sort of getting back to Portland and, yeah. and the issue here. So I think you, you, you have legitimate, if you're a person in the community, you're like, okay, there's a homeless issue. I'm seeing this. There, there are some basic things that you can do to make sure that wraparound care is a real thing. As and far as what is wraparound care? So it's this basic concept that, yeah, we may put a, a schizophrenic heroin user who uh, prostitutes to pay for their homeless um, to pay for their heroin addiction. But because they told us they only will use and I'm giving a real life example of what mm. when I went through the training, this is a houseable person. If a person has a severe mental health issue and they're self-medicating, but they do it in the safety of their home mm. and they use clean needles that person's houseable. Mm -hmm. The only thing that we would have to do is set up a system in which we come and check on them. Mm -hmm. And we make sure that there's certain needs provided for and that certain opportunities are made available to them. So wraparound services so that's is, wrap, is, yeah. is housing, but also yeah. mental health assistance, drug yeah. drug treatment assistance, health care and otherwise. It's so in reality, service. that sounds good right. if you legitimately... Because you may be picturing something like a person comes, a therapist comes, talks with them, maybe takes them to an appointment, lets them, you know, helps them learn how to grocery shop. The reality is I've handed you a pamphlet when I handed you your house keys and I can now check the box according to the government standards that I've informed you mm -hmm. about proper nutrition. I've informed you about banking and, and, and all the things that would say you should be able to sustain a household. Mm -hmm. But it's in a pamphlet that you probably won't read. And now they get a chance to check a box and then you cycle back out the system in six months. Mm -hmm. And once you cycle back out the system again, you still count for the year. So if I house you in February and you're back homeless in November, mm -hmm. you count as a person who was housed for right. the year. Right. Even though you may have only spent a small amount of time of the year and really February <laughs> to November is a long time. But in most cases, people were back out on the streets mm -hmm. within 120 days. And that's another reason why this functional zero idea is, is a little silly because those people are they might be housed, but it might be just for a very short period of time. It's very short period of time because there's no legitimate wraparound services. And I okay. think the attention to those to life skills and wraparound services such as drug addiction detox those type of things are the things that make you a legitimate candidate uh to maintain and function if you're a, a functioning heroin user and you haven't tried and i'm not for methadone or suboxone but it's a step better than heroin i mm -hmm. guess you know mm -hmm. really i don't feel Arm like it reduction. is yeah. yeah but at least you start down those paths mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases they don't start them down those paths but and how do so, you count people is there a better way to count people to even now, have a better sense of, of who's who is out there homeless and who's who slipped back into homelessness you know i think the thing is if you're going to count really count mm -hmm. like in other words they're counting them just to say we housed you but they're not really counting them as a whole person they don't even take a name and I get the anonymity factor, but it's, you know, this idea that it's like, how are you helping them mm -hmm. other than just I need some numbers for, you know, in order mm -hmm. to get more money. Mm -hmm. But is this person legitimately like, how can I help this individual, even if it means how do I help them stay on the street so, or whatever? So, you know, 
some throwing some shade on the homeless industry, so to speak, the homeless yeah. uh, sort of. Do you see anything that is af- after we've done throwing some shade on yeah. on all all the folks out there who are trying to help? Um, and and you know, that's yeah. okay. We we we're trying yeah. to help, and people can throw shade on us. Yeah. Um, but is it? Do you see something good that's happening in in this world? You know, to be honest with you, even within that same system, for how critical I may sound of it, and within that same system. I've create I've helped create several success stories and individuals mm. who are still housed. Now it took relationship. Mm. Like that's still functioning. Like there's a guy who's a real close friend of mine, I consider him now. He called me and we talked for about three hours on, on Saturday mm. and he's he's a schizophrenic gentleman who he was housed in the middle of a, a housing project. That was mm. the cl- best place I could get him, but that's what he qualified for. He's still there. But I'm a part of his wraparound service. Mm-hmm. But it's a person. I'm not getting paid, obviously. But that's part of it that I, I help kind of just help him talk it through. So there are good examples of just caring. But I think from a standpoint of when you walk into a new neighborhood and mm-hmm. you see someone, you have to understand that there's trauma behind why they're on the streets mm-hmm. 95% of the time, if mm-hmm. not 100 in my mm-hmm. opinion. But just to sound smarter, I'm going to say 95% <laughs> of the time. But there's a trauma behind it from the first moment that you have to lay your head down outside mm-hmm. and that's a, a and you're conscious of it and you don't have another option. That's trauma. Like right there, that mm-hmm. in itself, it goes against all societal norms. It goes against anything, any comfort level that an individual could have. And I feel like that's where we have to have some sort of level of, of sympathy, even if we can't muster up empathy because we've never mm-hmm. been even close to that. Mm-hmm. We have to have some sort of level of sympathy and say, okay, regardless of my property values going down or any of these other discussions, I need to step across the line and and figure out how can I help them. And and that's um, yeah. And and how how can how can you be compassionate? Yeah. In in especially in I think that's where where most people should go. Uh, there are special cases. You know, special cities like Portland, where we just have so many folks. There was a. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up this article that was done by the Guardian back in 2017 that uh, tracked the. Tr- you know, they traced 21,000 homeless people over the course of about six years to see um, where different cities in the country had bused them to. Yeah. Because. Um, Cities tend to give homeless people free bus tickets. Yeah, and say, get I, out. They would Oklahoma City and would send me at least forty homeless people a month. Mm. No exaggeration. Cause wow, you could get housed. Right, Princeton, New Jersey starts sending people to Tulsa. Right, like after AGRM meetings, and we would meet with all the other shelters. They would be like, "Whoa, hold on, you can get someone housed." Like you know, like people from out east would be like, "You can get someone housed within a month or two months." I'm like, "Yeah, okay." And then, like, a month later, all of a sudden, there's a new homeless guy in the population with a nickname like New York. And <laughs> it's like you knew that that's what it was. Yeah, and it's 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 frustrating. It's maddening because, you know, here here in Portland, where if you look at this map, we're one of the, the hot spots in the country, not the only one. Um, but you can actually see the transit lines of which you can see, like, little dots moving from one city <laughs> to another. And you just see in before 2017, Portland, Seattle did not even bus people out. They had no um, externalizing. They didn't. They didn't export homeless people. Yeah. So here we're just getting tons and tons of people. The local taxpayers are are funding services, you know, compassionately, but they're not going. I mean, at least in theory, 
uh, I don't know how you prioritize someone from our community to be the first to receive these. You know, you talk about right to return policies like um, that we have here yeah. where people are trying to, you know, say, well, public dollars should go to help people who were displaced from this neighborhood. They should be the first ones in line. You know, you would think it would be the, for the same thing for homeless services and, and yeah. all sorts of treatments. Like, well, you know, if you're a member of our community and they get bumped out for one reason or another, let's try to get them back in. You know, we can't take Sacramento's problems. And so so that's 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 an example of how, you know, the, some of these cities like Portland, New York, L.A., where they're just overwhelmed with homelessness, you know, how how does someone navigate that as an individual and then how to like a lot of times women um you know because we talk about like being neighborly um and looking people in the eye and just saying hello and yeah. treating them with basic dignity and you know there have been some women who've been like hey i'm a little uncomfortable with doing that sometimes yeah you know and, and that's understandable and so so i think we have to yeah we have to say we need to be compassionate but also understand that you know there are exceptions too right yeah you, yeah, and I think that's where that was the role I always played. I, I understood that there was responsibility with compassion, and I would always commend people for calling me. And I, you know, I, it, it may sound like, you know, the, whether what I felt like their intentions were or not, sometimes they were doing the responsible thing by calling, mm -hmm. like and saying, "Okay, is there an outreach worker? Is there someone mm -hmm. that can do this?" Because the truth of the matter is, not everyone's built for that. And then, truthfully, sometimes people are regardless of me wanting to be an advocate for the homeless, there are reasons that people are homeless. They can be just, dangerous. Yeah, just being yeah. just straight up real, there are like there is a large chunk of the population who who are dangerous sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like and that's an unfortunate it comes with the good, comes with the bad. And so So you uh, do a gut check, but yeah, but like yeah. the the place should be like, can I be compassionate in this moment? And then you gotta check your antenna to yeah. be like, in this specific case, is that wise? And a smile helps you gauge that. Mm, that's great. Yeah, like, that's that good, is that's the biggest little, tool I, yeah. I've always told people totally. you have. Smile at them. If they smile back and, and you see something there and you, you start to build nonverbal, non-threatening communication with them, mm. then you'll start, you'll, it, it'll help lower, you know, all of those anxieties and you'll be able to figure out what's your, what's your game here. And, and that's, that's mostly for men that we're talking to, women. Yeah. You know, ladies yeah. out there, don't be smiling at everybody. You're just going to get a lot of unwanted attention, I'm sure. Yeah. And and we really need to get more women in this in this <laughs> we, podcast. We should. We say We're, horrible yeah. things. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. No, but we don't but, want to be mansplaining things. Yeah, exactly. Now, ladies, <laughs> listen. You got to smile, but don't be frisky. <laughs> like, we get our advice from from Alabama, <laughs> right? Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, but, well, how about a, a comic book recap? Yeah, <laughs> so up? yeah, so real quickly as we kind of just just journey out, you saw you were able to see Avengers. I, I saw Avengers Endgame. Yes, yes. So for you, were what? Because I didn't give you a full the last show. I didn't give you a full you know critique on it. I just told you I was yeah. Where are you? That is a good a good a good way to jump off. So I thought you know. It was a long movie, and I thought they could have cut the f like fifteen minutes out of the first yeah. half of it. Yeah, and it was a lot of like sobbing, and um, which you know you gotta have some grieving. It makes sense, but it, it was it just didn't hold up in that that first you know thirty minutes. I just didn't think yeah. it was hitting, and they the, you know 
it they needed to have some sadness there, but it just didn't feel it felt too much and not genuine enough at the same time. Right. And I also thought they didn't think through what the world would be like if half the population was gone, including like, animals. Yeah, including animals. Yes. Yeah. I. I just. I. You know. I think the world would have been in a lot worse shape than. Yeah. How they portrayed it. It just. It would have. It would have. You know. They were just. The cities would have just been destroyed. I mean, they would have burned down. Uh. Anyway. So I didn't think they thought that part through enough, and that the emotions, of grieving. That was also not thought through enough. And But then once they got into the action, started kicking people's butts again. It was like, oh, yeah. okay, here we go. And I think that's what made it meh for me. It was no. just like, if you were going to make me sit through this first hour, mm-hmm. then at least make me very uncomfortable. Yeah, You know, like there were, and I don't know if you ever saw these, but within my own, like growing up in religious like settings, they would scare the crap out of us with these rapture video movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just, it, but they painted a picture of what it would be like mm-hmm. if half of the world was Thanos by Jesus. You right, know what I'm saying? right, right, right. So I mean, there's so much. There's yeah. like books about that, right? There's like yeah. a whole, the, the, yes. the, yeah. the Left Behind or the something. The Left Behind series, yeah. yes. And They so, didn't tap any of that. Yeah, like there were people getting their heads chopped off. It was just, it was crazy everything that kind of takes place after this happens, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why don't you borrow from that? Yeah, really. Like anything, because that that sticks with you. Right. So for me, I was just like, they really could have done a better job, perhaps. But yeah, I'm, you know, it doesn't hold up. But at the end of the day, we have the four, what we have to look forward to is uh, Marvel Universe Stage 4, I guess as it's called. Mm-hmm. So There'll be a new Black Panther movie, um, a lot of other things that are coming directly from the Marvel Cinematic Universe Mm -hmm. that should be big. Outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, Sony is putting out the new uh, Spider-Man this summer. Everyone's looking forward to that. Yeah, and and it's going to go into some of those emotional things. And it's going to be that kid that's in the Avengers, right? Yeah, the Spider-Man. Who does a great job. I I mean, I don't know if the writing's going to be the same. But to me, that's the first Spider-Man who feels like Spider-Man. Yeah. He should be like a scrawny, you know, kid, goofy mm-hmm. high school kid. Yeah. You know, who doesn't have like a lot of confidence. You know, he's socially awkward. Yeah. But he's, when he's got the suit on, he's like, he's on it. Yeah. And this kid lost Iron Man instead of Uncle Ben to mm-hmm. some extent. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's more like you, you, you're more emotionally invested in mm-hmm. like you now you, who cared about Uncle Ben right now this kid yeah mm-hmm. so I could see this character rain you know going a lot further so um, and Spider-Man should be awesome yeah you know, I mean just as a character I mean that was like for me X-Men and Spider-Man I think Marvel Spider-Man was the way I got into Marvel comics. Yeah. Maybe mo- a lot of us. He was kind of like the Superman of Marvel. Mm-hmm. He was just a, uh, I don't know what it was about him, but he was Your just Your friendly like super... neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what made him more relatable. Um, so what we have up next to talk about when it comes to this, and we're going to cross over into the X-Men world, which is yeah. outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's still a Marvel, they're Marvel characters. What is the and, difference there? Because they're going to be, so Fox, not going to be part of Marvel Cinematic well, Universe well, now? So when Marvel was going bankrupt after, because mm-hmm. there was a comic book burst, you know, right. bubble burst. So um, Marvel sold the rights to Spider-Man and, their, and his characters to Sony mm-hmm. and X-Men to Fox. Well, now that the Disney merger has Fox owned, you know, owns Fox and it's all one. They'll eventually maybe merge is the hope. 
but as for now, it's still considered a Fox product, you know. So it comes from the the Fox Marvel uh, collaboration opposed to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is just Marvel. So and and so Dark Phoenix will be coming out June seventh. I and that, that's yeah. like the third time they've told this story and yes. ruined it. Everyone's expecting it to be a complete disaster. And I'm, I'm, you know, like Comic Book Girl 19, who I got all my news from, yeah. is saying that like now I guess the paperwork is signed or something that the transfer has happened, that the property, yeah. the IP is now going over to, from Fox to Disney. And, but I'm hearing from friends that they think there's going to be three years before there is even an yeah. X-Men movie at Disney. Yeah, probably more than likely because there's pro- there's I think two other movies that are already in production, so you gotta still put those mm-hmm. out or do whatever you're gonna do with it because millions are poured into it. So, and well, I had an, another friend who was saying that that in the X Men line, I think it was the X Men line, Marvel Studios stopped creating new mutant characters in the X Men line X Men title because any new created character they created would then become a Fox property for the movies. And they didn't want to hemorrhage any more any more narratives. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a crazy kind of yep. copyright universe you get into. Yeah. So we got a lot that we'll talk about and kind of explore in that uh, in that next conversation. And um, and I'm really been inspired by what you were saying. So we will we later this summer we will be looking at a uncaged podcast. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. On. We're getting really closer to wrapping up some things and just saying, okay, uncaged is going to be what we have. And um, sometimes it's like that with documentaries. Yeah. You wait and see what you got, and then you you roll with what you got. That's the news, and, man. Deadline's a deadline. <laughs> and you yeah. just gotta go. Yeah, and so we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, and and we'll we'll be continuing this conversation. Great, so. I'm looking forward to that, and it's I think it's a great vehicle for for getting the conversation going and getting the, yeah. the story out there. So as for us, it priced out the podcast, which you're listening to right now. Uh, we will continue this conversation, this line of conversation. Uh, we talked a lot about homelessness today, but we're going to get into those issues when it when it comes to race relations, uh, relationships as it comes down to living. Uh, and coming in and becoming the gentry, like becoming a gentrifier, and how do you do these things? And um, and what are some of our particular stories around yeah. racial experiences? Yeah, like I've I've gotten so many, I've gotten a lot of different stories living in a a community that gentr that's gentrified mm-hmm. personally, and yeah, and I've listened to a lot of really good stories, especially from indigenous people mm-hmm. and their take on it. That I'll, you know, so there's a lot that we want to share. And I've been called white presenting at a uh, at a Q and A at a Fright Sound screening, and I just I just want to share that story because it's yes it's so weird yeah yes <laughs> yeah all right well we will uh, what do you say I'll let you close it out you will hear from us again all right.